Welcome to True Grit and Grace, a podcast designed to empower you to claim your resilience and thrive through life's challenges. I am Amberly Lago, a mindset coach, fitness expert, and best-selling author. Each week, I'll dive deep with the world's brightest thought leaders and elite performers to share tangible tools and practical advice to inspire you to keep your eyes on the prize and forge ahead. So get ready to conquer your fears, heal any trauma, lead with your heart, and elevate your life with grit and grace. Well, hello, and thank you for tuning in to the True Grit and Grace podcast. I just want to say you might want to grab a pen and a piece of paper today because you're going to be inspired, but you are going to learn so much. I have the one and the only Mel Abraham on with us today, and he's the top financial advisor, or a lot of people call him the affluent mentor. He's the thought leader to thought leaders. He's worked with some of the top entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and motivational speakers out there. He, you know, is their financial advisor and really helps them with their business. He's a CPA by education, but an entrepreneur by exhilaration. I'm telling you, he makes learning about finances fun and easy, especially for people like me. He's got a best-selling book called The Entrepreneur's Solution. It's the modern millionaire's path to more profit, fans, and freedom. He's the founder of Thoughtpreneur Academy and the Business Breakthrough Academy. And I've learned so much from his podcast. It's called The Affluent Entrepreneur Show. I actually had the honor of being a guest on his show. He is an overcomer and his triumphant story of kicking cancer's butt is so inspiring. So Mel, thank you so much for being here. Oh my God, this is a joy. I, I, I've i been looking forward to this. So um, I, I can't wait to, to, to jump in and have some fun. Well, I, I really have learned so much from your podcast. I binge it and you really do break things down in such a way that it makes it fun and it makes it easy to understand. And I think that you know, after my motorcycle accident, we talked about this on your, your show, how I realized I didn't really, I didn't have any systems in place. I did not, you know, I had savings and my husband couldn't access that because we had different bank accounts and I was in a coma and we quickly went through my savings. Once I was up from a coma and we decided, oh, we need a joint account. We just learned a lot of lessons and you and your journey, you've really now helping so many people. So God forbid something like a, a major catastrophe or adversity comes, they are set, but also hopefully if something like that doesn't happen, they have financial freedom, like really liberation. And I'd like to go back to 2019 and talk about your journey and, and what really, cause I feel like you've got a fire lit up under you and you are helping so many people, but I'd like to go back to the time when you first found out that, that you had cancer. Can you take us back to that and how you got through that? Yeah. I mean, first off, not that anyone expects to get cancer. It certainly wasn't anything. No one in my family ever had cancer and I had no pain. I had no symptoms really. And then all of a sudden this may be too much for the show, but it was bladder cancer. I, I started to see blood in the urine. Um, and believe me, it's not too much for this show. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so, 
And I let it go to a typical guy thing to do. Ah, you just, just go away or something happened. I don't know. You know, so I, I started to let it go. But, you know, blessed to my wife, uh, who's been in the medical field for years. And, and I started, I was traveling and speaking and I, and I asked her, and she goes, how long has it been? And, and uh, she says, we need to get you in. And that, that started this whole ripple effect. I said, why is she? <laughs> She wouldn't tell me because she didn't want to diagnose me. But, you know, yeah. what did I do? I went to the, the, the most evil doctor on the land, Dr. Google, and uh, I went into a dark place because I started to see what was possible. But um, so I heard the, the words. I went and saw the, this, this surgeon, the very first surgeon we saw, and he said, you know, you have cancer. And I, if we put it in perspective of what my life was like, Life was great. I finished a multi six figure launch. I'm speaking on some of the biggest stages. I'm masterminding with some of the top entrepreneurs. I had two weeks before the diagnosis, I was flying back on a on a private jet with a wow. number of these entrepreneurs. I mean, life was really good. And then two weeks after that, it got turned on its head. Uh, mm. Without, you know, they looked at me and said, "You don't have the risk factors." You know, they. They said the average age for this type of cancer is like 73. And I go, well, unless mom lied on my birth certificate, there is no way I'm 73. Yeah. Not a smoker, not a drinker. That put me into a, a tailspin. I mean, to be, to be honest, it put me into a dark place because I was struggling to figure out why me? What did I do to deserve mm -hmm. this? What did I do to have this? And I think one of the big epiphanies for me was the only way I got out of it is I stopped looking in the past. I knew life was changing and it was changing forever. I remember the, the final surgeon that I saw that was going to do the surgery says, you and I will have a relationship for the rest of your life. Wow. But I think one of the things that, that really got me to start to look differently at it was this, is that too often, I think we look to the past for our why. And I think in your case, you could have done the same thing. Why did this happen to me? Why would the accident happen? Why did COVID happen? Why did any of this happen? We tend to look in the past, and when we're looking in the past, I realized I was looking for someone or something to blame. And what if the why is actually in the future? What if I have wow. the opportunity to look forward and say, what am I going to make this cancer mean? What, what are the lessons here that allow me to make it a positive thing? And that's what started to get me out of that, that bitter, dark hole that I was in and, you know, to start living again, to start saying, okay, if this is what it is, then the first thing I got to do is, is conquer it. The first thing I got to do is, is get after it and, and make sure that it doesn't leave me in this dark place. And, uh, you know, that my team of doctors said, we've never had anyone attack it the way you did. Wow. Um, I said, well, it wasn't always that way. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know what? I think you really went from, I think it's normal when we or when something happens, we ask why and it's, but it's, if we stay there, that's yeah puts us, it makes us feel like a victim. But when we decide to totally take like radical accountability for, well, this is what it is. What can I learn from it? We start to, it puts us in the driver's seat of our life and then we can make the best decisions to move forward and heal. But were you able to work through that? Or did you stop everything? And like, I am just focused on my health and getting through this. 
because that's the scary part. I mean, even through COVID, a lot of people who've lost their jobs or gotten really sick with COVID and weren't able to work. And they're like, but how do I continue making money? How do I make sure I don't lose my house? All those things that fear comes up about not just health, but your finances, your relationship, everything. It, this is such a huge question. So first, I will say that I was blessed by um, the fact that I was a single full-time dad for a long time and was trying to make sure that I was there for my son. And in that process, I realized because I was in a type of business as, at, at that time as a consultant, where I was in a sense swapping hours for dollars, I had to figure out how do I get my, to me, wealth, wealth and richness is not measured in money. Too often we measure it in money. It, it really should be measured in time. Mm. And how much of my time do I control? Because I could be uber wealthy. I could have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank, but if I don't control any of my time, it's a poor life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might look at it and say, it's a poor life in an Aston Martin and a private jet or whatever, you know, people are, are driving, but it's still a poor life. They're still struggling and suffering. And, and so I was blessed early on to start to, to start looking at how do I do business differently? How do I do life differently? How do I give myself, not for the sake of cancer, but for the sake of independence, for the sake of that timing. So to go to your question, I was blessed enough to know that I would be okay financially if I stopped completely, completely stopped working. I also knew that, that in order to really go after the cancer the way I wanted to, I needed to stop working. I needed to be 100% focused on healing and fighting this, this, yeah. this thing. I mean, they found the, the first CT scan said it was a five centimeter tumor that they found in the bladder. The, when they went in, it turned out to be seven and a half centimeters. It was six and a half hours of surgery to get it out. When they went in, it was, you know, he, before they went in, they told me it's on the prostate. We might have to remove the prostate. We might have to put a tube in for the, because we can't see the ureter on the right side, a tube in for the kidney and a bag for the kidney. And, oh, and, and if it's bad, you lose your bladder. So, I mean, oh. I was, I was living in a moment where Everything I knew as an active individual, as someone who, who used physicality and, and, and communication was just put in jeopardy. And so I said, I can't, I can't, I can't do anything but put 100% into the healing. And, uh, and so that's the, that was the, the way I did it. Now, I was how long was that? How long were you really, you know, after the surgery and really focused on your healing? How much time did you take off of work? I pretty much didn't, didn't start working again until the beginning of this year. Wow. So, really? Almost two years. Well, you know uh, what? I appreciate you sharing that and how yeah. important that is because I have a lot of people, you know, I wasn't even on social media after my motorcycle accident. I spent years, like three, four years healing in and out of surgeries. And I think it's important for people to know that, that, you know, they see, you know, inspirational transformational pictures or something on a, a highlight reel of people, how they had this horrible accident or they overcame something. And it looks like they just got through it. And it's like, no, it does take a long time if you want to do it the right way. We hit it. 
So it was one of those things that I hit it with everything I had. Well, back in the day, I used to fight competitively uh, in the martial arts. So I said, this is another fight. When mm -hmm. I fought competitively, I had people in my corner. I had people that were my, my footwork guys, my handwork uh, people, my uh, strength, my conditioning, my corner, you know, all these people that would keep me in the ring and keep me fighting. And I, and so I said, well, this is no different, except this time it's for my life. And, um, and so I put a whole team of doctors together and I sat them down and I said, here's the thing. You can't fight the fight for me. That's my fight to fight. I got to get in the ring and I, and I got to fight it. But what you can do is make sure, absolutely make sure that I will be the strongest possible at this fight that, that I've ever been or that you've ever seen. And I said, that means I need you to push me. I don't need negativity. I need mm -hmm. you all working together as a team. I don't, I don't care that I'm working Western, Eastern, holistic all together. I'm not taking sides. I don't care what works. I care that something works, but I need you all in the corner. And if you're game to play that game with me, then let's do it. If you're not, that's fine. Step aside. I'll find someone else. That is powerful. Like you were your own advocate and we're like, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. It, you know, Mel, that reminds me of when I was in the hospital and I, you know, I was finally transported to Cedars and the first time all the doctors came into the room and they huddled around. It was like, it reminded me of like right before a football game where that all the, they're all huddled around and they're all huddled and they're looking at the screen and the screen is not facing me. And one of the doctors turned around and he said, well, do you want to see the x-ray? And I said, yep, I need to see what this looks like. I want to be a part of this and I'm, I'm ready to, to fight to save my leg. And he said, okay, well, I hope you have a strong stomach. And I was like, here we go. And they turned the screen around and I had a team of people. I had the orthopedic, the plastic surgeon who had to do the skin grafts. I had the pain doctors. I had the pulmonary doctor, this team. The one thing that I didn't mention that I love that you mentioned is that you said, I don't want negativity Yeah. because I did get some of that, but I used, I learned to use that as my biggest motivation, but I love that you took accountability and you surround yourself with good people. And I think that Matt, no matter if you're fighting in the ring or you're fighting for your life or what it, you're fighting for your dreams it's important to have those good people around you while you're healing, especially while you're healing. Yeah. So they did the, how many surgeries did you end up having? So I ended up having three surgeries. Uh, they took out four tumors in the three surgeries and I um, went through 37 treatments. I'm actually, no, 38 treatments. Cause I'm, believe it or not, I'm actually in the middle of uh, another three week round of treatments right now. So I started last week and I have two more weeks of it. Um, you are, well, how does it make you feel when you have those, you treatments? know, it, it, it takes me down for a little bit. Um, yeah. but these are preventative. So, so one of the problems with bladder cancer, evidently is it's a, it's a high, high, it's one of the highest recurring rates out there. Um, I mean, the good news is that prostate's intact, bladder's intact, all that, the, the ureter and the kidney, everything is fine. So we're on, we're now, instead of playing defense, we're on the offense. We're, we're doing everything. So with the doctors, I said, all right, now 
I want us ultra aggressive on prevention and detection. So what that means is that we're doing preventative treatments instead of uh, at th in three week spurts. And then I'll go back in and uh, six weeks after the final treatment to, to do another scope. And as long as it stays clear and I've been clear for over a year now. Oh, thank um, goodness. That is amazing. Yeah. They'll space them out, but that's why he's, he said to me, we're in a relationship for the rest of your life. This is something that we're going to want to, because once it pierces the, the bladder wall, the whole game changes for me. And so I said, well, let's not give it a chance. And here's the other blessing. If that means that I have to do a procedure that the insurance says they're not going to cover, that's fine. I'll cover it. I don't care. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a brand new grandfather. I said, I'm going to be there to make sure that I watch my granddaughter walk down that aisle. Wow. Oh, wow. That's, and congratulations on your beautiful grandchild. I just saw the picture the other day. Gorgeous. Do you think that being an athlete, being, you know, a fighter helped you really prepare and get through this mentally for, for your, all the surgeries and the healing that you went through? I, I think it, it, it did. I think both the athletics and the entrepreneurship, because in both cases, you're going to be dealt adversity. In both cases, you're going to be dealt with pressure. You're going to be dealt with, with things that just don't go your way. And, and you can either wallow in the pity and the sorrow of it all. And I know that's easy for me to say, but at the same time, and I've had some horrible things happen, um, but you can look at the, the hand you're dealt and say, okay, what are the things I can control? Let me spend my time there. Because if it's out of my control and I spend my time, I'm wasting, I'm wasting what, what little effort, what little control I have. Um, and I think that, that I got from the martial arts, from the competitive sports and from, uh, from entrepreneurship, because, you know, inevitably things didn't always go the way we want. Oh, um, so, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I, especially this past year, everything yeah. just and seems so, to change and it's learning to be flexible and resilient and to get back up and try different ways. But I too think that athleticism taught me a lot about yeah. perseverance, figuring out different ways to do things, failing a lot. Oh boy, did I have a lot of failure as a dancer and rejections as a dancer and and, yeah. and all these things. It's like, if you can look at it and say, okay, well, what am I learning from it? How can I grow from it? But also I really admire the fact that you did everything that you could. You didn't sit back and wait for doctors to magically heal you. You changed every, you changed the way you eat, you really focused on your health and you changed a lot. You learned how to eat differently. I mean, you ate pretty healthy before, but now yeah. it's like you go out to dinner and you're not eating the, you know, chips and salsa and margaritas. You've changed no. it all. Was that a hard process or is that a hard process? Or are you, how, how did you go about doing that? So I, I think the biggest, my biggest vice was that I had a sweet tooth. Uh, I wasn't ever really. A and sugar's sugar. the devil. Oh. oh my gosh. And, and you don't realize it. And, and, and I was making an excuse for it 
because they said, well, I work out all the time and everything. I can, you know, it's no big deal. And, but as soon as they told me, Hey, you know, sugar fuels the cancer. Mm -hmm. I said, all right, I have to, now this, this will probably give you a little bit of my extremism. Um, I have to cut my connection with sugar. And so I said, well, we could wean myself off of it, but would that work? So I went literally, um, I was diagnosed on June 13th, 2019, June 15th of 2019. I went on a three-day water fast. Wow. All I I had was water for three days. (laughs) And I said, all right, this is going to break my connection with all. And the only reason that I was going to go five days, the only reason we didn't go five days is because they, we didn't know when they were going to schedule the surgery and they were waiting to get a special operating room to do this surgery in. And they could have called me and I didn't want to be in the middle of the fast and not have my strength with me uh, at the time I went in for surgery. So we did, once we got through three days and said, all right, good. And I never looked back. And did you feel sick or did like doing the fast and just cutting out everything like that was, did you feel nauseated? Were you cranky husband? Really hard. Yeah. I mean, I was taking in water with water with minerals and, and, and that was it. Um, and, uh, but it was, it was re- it was really hard for the first 24 hours um, and the cravings and, and my wife, you know, bless her. She, she decided, she says in, in solidarity, I'm going to do it with you. And she has, oh. she has a bad, um, you know, she has, she gets bad migraines. Well, within 24 hours, it triggered a migraine for her. And she oh, goes, God. I'll show my solidarity a different way. Um, but she, at the same time, she has supported every decision that I've made. She's changed how she how she cooks, how she bakes, everything. And there's never a question. There's never a doubt. And so I think for me, it was hard, but having a supportive environment, even going mm-hmm. out with my friends, we'll go out to, like you said, chips and salsa, and we'll, we'll go out to a, a Mexican place. And my friends will say, hey, can you do me a favor? Can we get some carrot sticks and cucumbers with the guacamole and, uh, mm-hmm. in addition to the chips? They know it and they they support it. Um, That's so important. That is yeah. so important. I mean, when I got sober, it was really hard because I had some friends that really had a hard time. I'm like, look, I'm not telling you that you can't drink. I'm just saying I choose not to. And it was hard at first. And then when you start to feel better, you're like, oh my goodness, thank goodness. I wake over, wake up without a hangover and I feel better and I have more energy and more clarity. And so it it starts to become easier when you start to see the benefits of doing something that's really for your health in every way. Well, I, I know at that time, thank goodness you had things set up to where you could take time off of work and that's something that I've kind of learned because we went through our savings like crazy. And I'm like, Oh gosh, we have to do something different. Not only that, you know, when I, I was younger, when you're younger and I was like the healthiest I had ever been, I was doing infomercials and I was nationally recognized as a fitness coach. I was feeling pretty indestructible. Like, I'm going to live forever. And we didn't have anything set up. We didn't have um, our finances set up. We didn't have a will set up. We didn't have any kind of systems in place. And that's something that you really teach people. And, and you work with 
some of the top, I mean, I won't mention names, but I know some of the top people that you work with that you are their, you know, you are their mentor for their business and their finances. And so many people, including me, need help and guidance <laughs> in just what to do. And I've been thinking about you so much, Mel, because literally right before we started recording, I ran downstairs to get something to drink. And my husband was like, well, we found a house in Texas. We're, oh, we're moving. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I told you, I, I don't know if I can deal with this just at this moment right now. I've got a lot of events coming up and, you know, we're going to rent first we're going to rent our house. And if thing, if things go our way, we will actually make profit from renting our house until we decide that we're a hundred percent committed and want to move there. But there's a lot of stuff like with fear that comes up with finances, yeah. I think. And, and partners view finances so differently. I know my husband and I do a lot. So the first question I have for you is, is there a, some sort of recipe for financial freedom? So if you have some money coming in, instead of just, you know, I was taught growing up, put money in the bank and hopefully you have enough to pay the bills. And it was a really a mindset, not of abundance. It was like, let's just try to get through the month and pay the bills on the time. Yeah. And so I had this mindset of scarcity, like just save all your money. Don't invest it. Don't. And so I've learned as I've learned more and going through experiences that, that it's about investing the right way. But I wondered if you could share just how, what do we do if we have money coming in, first of all, what do we do with it to make sure that we're, we're putting it in the right place and that we can make money from our money? You might appreciate this. It's, it's kind of like, cause you come from the fitness area uh, the basic recipe is this, just like fitness. It's like, if you want to lose weight, eat less, move more type of a thing. The same thing with, with, with building wealth. It's, it's living with below your means. In other words, 78% yeah. of the people are living check to check. So the first thing we've got to correct is that. Oh, um, and I see that so much in LA. It's just, oh my gosh all about the image and people uh -huh. like having the crazy fancy cars, but then and traveling, but then having a hard time paying their bills. And I right. never want to be that way. I had the same old truck that I drove for years. And I was like, I like my truck and I'll get a fancier car when I feel like I can do it with ease and live, still live below my means. There's a difference between looking wealthy and being wealthy. Oh, yes. And, uh, and I, I don't care. I don't need the designer stuff. I mean, we have whatever, but I just, I have no reason to display it for anyone to see. I prefer the opposite. In fact, the struggle for me, when I, you know, my book, The Entrepreneur Solution, The, the Modern Millionaire's Path, to, uh, you know, to put, I did not want to put millionaire in the, in the title. I really? fought them. I fought them. I fought them. Brendan. So many people are attracted to that though. Oh my gosh. But I didn't want to put it out there because I don't know if it was ego, whatever it was. I came from a, a, a white collar family, you know, Brendan introduced me to speak on a stage one time and he turned around and said, <laughs> he's done so many good things for me. He oh. introduced me and he said, Mel's, Mel's a, a multimillionaire and he put, and so 
when I come out on stage, he tells them that uh, in the introduction, he gives me a hug on stage, whispers in my ear, he says, the cat's out of the bag. Now you got to own it. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love Brendan Burchard. He oh, is so amazing. So, but I think the reality <laughs> is, is that first off, let's get a handle on, on where things are going. Uh, because we can't, we can't build wealth. If, if we're hemorrhaging somewhere else, then we got to stop the leaking. We got to stop the digging of the hole first. Yes. And part of that might be a lifestyle adjustment. Part of that might be getting a side gig. Part of that might be looking at our income. Part of that might be looking at things. One of the exercises I have people do is they said, I want you to go through your checking accounts. And now this might, you know, pain people tremendously go through your checking account, your credit cards for maybe six months. And I want you to mark everything that's a need with an N and everything that's a want with a W. Wow. And, and I said, the, the thing is that your needs are your survival. They're the clothes, they're the food, they're the shelter, they're uh, the medical, manis and petties, technology, all that stuff, those are wants. And in the wants is where you'll find your wealth being spent out the back door. Mm -hmm. And if we can plug those holes, then there's this, hierarchy that I walk through called the wealth priority ladder that we say, all right, let's, let's now start our path to build that. But there, if we look at just wealth building in general, because so often people think, oh, this making money and building wealth, it's complicated and it's convoluted. You know what? It's not. If you just understand the basic principles, but the financial services industry benefit by making sure that you think it's complicated. I'm I'm a CPA by education. I don't sell investments to anyone. So I have no bias other than bias for you to buy into your dreams and your future and the possibility of being financially independent, which I think is an absolute birthright. Yeah. And I love that about you, that you really teach people and you can tell you teach from the heart, but you make it fun and you break it down into simple steps. It's like you speak... <laughs> Speak in a way that everybody can understand and it's not complicated. And that's one thing I really love about your podcast is that you get on and you share so many of all of the things that you talk about, about the financial freedom that we can have if we just do these simple steps, but just going through and marking, like taking a look at your checking, you know, your checking account, your checkbook, your, your credit cards and marking it with needs and wants is huge because sometimes we don't even realize what we're spending money on. I know that, you know, we're renting this house in Texas and it's a lot of money. I think that a lot of people are moving to Texas and yeah. the, all the rental properties, they're not so much available, but we wanted to go to an area with a good school district and all of that. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're moving, but we don't even have our house rented out yet. My, I'm like, I just need to make sure that we can float to, you know, a rental and a mortgage. And the whole point of going to Texas is take our stress down, not yeah, add not to it. And so I had to look at some of the things that were cutting out. So like you said, it's like, okay, well, private school won't have to pay for that every month. Uh, boarding our horse for equestrian won't have to pay that. Well, that will cover our mortgage. So it's like, figuring out things like that, but it can be so, it can be scary. <laughs> it, it, it can. And, and I think you, you use the word stress. And I think that's the thing that, you know, people 
I mean, I hear people, I I've had a question that came in on the show about this whole idea of, hey, since interest rates are so low, um, should I borrow money to go invest it? And I'm going, no. Think of that there's a psychological impact of, stra- of, of, of debt that we don't think about. Oh, now, yeah. I think that there's productive debt and destructive debt and everything, and there's a, a place and time for it. But we, we can measure the economics of debt, but the stressors of debt, mm-hmm. I mean, when you realize I've got this house payment every, every month, or I have this credit card payment every month, or student loan payments every month, that puts stress on, on, on a person. It puts stress on a relationship. It puts stress on a family. And if something happens, if life happens like happened to you or happened to me, and we have those levels of, of debt, that's when that stress gets exaggerated and escalated at a, at a fast rate because you're just trying to keep ahead of the game. And yeah. So- I don't want to have to keep ahead of the game. I want to not be behind. You know what, Mel? That's why every month I pay my credit card off. I don't have any credit card debt. I just never, I saw how my, my mom struggled with that. And I thought I never want to be in that position where I'm struggling every month. And so I I just, I pay stuff off. I don't want, I want to get rid of any kind of stress. We're always going to have those stressors. We're going to have, you know, rent or mortgage or all that, but it's, it's how do we lower that stress? One of the key elements, I know that people call it a, a, an emergency fund. I call it a piece of my pen. I remember I was, I, was, I was picked up by a car service to speak in Montana once. And this was a kid that just finished college and he was the driver. And he said, and he found out what I did. And he said, oh, what would you give a kid coming out of college as far as advice about retirement? And I said, the first thing to, to stop thinking about is calling it retirement. Because retirement is easy to put off. It's long ways away. Trust mm-hmm. me. I remember when I was 25 and all of a sudden I just turned 60. I don't know where the time went. Okay. But what we're really. You look so about, good for. Oh, I can't believe you're 60. Thank you. Yeah. You look amazing. So. I so anyway, great. sorry, go ahead. I just, um, you're, you're in such great shape. You, it shows that you take care of yourself. It really I, I, shows. I but so I love that you, you say how you rename things. Don't call it retirement. What would you call it? I call it peace of mind. See, peace of mind. Because I love that. We all want peace of mind today. Retirement, we can think about tomorrow. Yeah. But if I'm trying to create peace of mind in the moment. For me, when I was diagnosed, you know, I went to my attorney two hours later just to make sure that all things were, were dialed oh. in. But the reason for that was so I could fight the fight with the peace of mind, knowing that my wife's taken care of, my son's taken care of, my brother's taken care of, and everyone that I, I love was taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so I was at peace. I knew that whatever little debt we have, she's okay. We don't have to worry about it. And when you, when you can relieve that stress in life, you know, maybe there's some sacrifices in the, in the short term to get you there. Mm-hmm. But the long-term effect of having peace of mind is far greater. And we want to possess that today. Retirement, we put off too, too far. Oh, I love renaming it that. 
But I would love for you to talk about how important it is to get things in order. A lot of times people, I mean, I talk to, I, after my accident, I talked to my mom and my dad and said, look, I know this is kind of a, not a fun thing to talk about, but it's necessary. And for peace of mind, I need you to set up, uh, you know, contact an attorney and you set up all your thing, put all your finances your will, everything in order. So I know what to do and it will give you peace of mind as well. And so, so many people don't have things in order. What would you suggest they do today? There was these traditional roles, I guess, in the generations gone by. I watched my mom as my dad passed. I watched Stephanie's mom when her dad passed. You know, where where in in a committed relationship, you know, marriage or otherwise, Typically, one person is the driving force behind the money choices and the money decisions and all that stuff. And I think that's fine. But as long as they're under the same roof, as long as they're in the same bed, as long as they're in your life, they need to be part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first thing, one of the first take or the one of the first uh, steps that I tell couples is I said, I need you to have a conversation, a real conversation around money. What's your vision for it? What does it mean to you? What does it look like? What do you want? And have those conversations. I don't expect and don't want them all, everyone to become this financial analyst. But Stephanie, when she came into my life, she she comes from the medical science side. So she wanted to know more about my medical uh, history than my financial history. But I needed her to know here's the three phone calls you need to make if God forbid something happens to me. Mm-hmm. That, that her knowing that she's not gonna, like I remember her mom when her dad, her dad passed away uh, very all of a sudden. He, was, he swam five miles, he was a co- collegiate swimmer. He was swimming five miles a day and in the middle of a swim, he had a, a hemorrhagic stroke. Oh. Um, you know, at, at, at a relatively young age, he, it was two weeks past his 70, first or 72nd birthday. So it was totally unexpected. And I remember flying back East and, and, and her mom was downstairs in tears and, and and she came up to the bedroom. She says, you need to go talk to mom. And I said, what's up? She goes, she doesn't know if she can keep the house. Oh my goodness. And I go, all right. So we extended our trip a week. We moved some things around. I said, you're fine. You're fine. But imagine for a moment, if she knew that before anything ever happened, yeah. You know, same with my mom. And I think that as much as we don't want to have to talk about, call it end of life, call it, you know, the future, call it retirement, call it whatever you want. Life happens. And mm-hmm. whether it's a cancer, an accident, a death, or a pandemic, the question you got to ask yourself is, are you prepared when life happens? I think it's important for us to look at it and say, let's have a conversation of what we want life to look like. Mm. And now we can, if we're on the same page of what we want life to look like, we can then have a more tactical conversation of, okay, what do we want to do? What are we willing to do to get there to make that happen? So we, in a sense, create a lifestyle plan that is built on the pillars of finances to make it happen and not the other way around where we say, let me figure out my finances and I'll see what lifestyle, we back into it. We start with lifestyle and say, let me figure out what I need to make. 
I love that. Oh my gosh. I just have to ask you though, do you find yourself as kind of a mediator between couples sometimes? I do. <laughs> I do. You know, it's funny. Uh, when I first started doing this, uh, I started doing this. Um, that's what came out of the cancer. You know, that's what gives the cancer mean. That's what gives my whole, I see, look back on my whole journey and all the little stumbles and falls and everything that I've done. I go, this is what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And, um, but when I went out to start doing it, I thought, I'm just going to tell you, let me tell you the kind of investment portfolio. Let me tell you that. And I was going to give you tactics. And it, it didn't take very long for me to realize if I can't help you navigate the emotions and the psyche, then you're never going to understand or be willing to accept the tactics. Well, that was actually my next question for you is how do wealthy people think differently? Do you, do you think there, there is a different way that they think? Do you think it all starts with our mindset and the way that we view finances? So there is a commonality. This is really interesting because I was interviewing a lot of folks uh, through over the, over the, the months and, and the, the couple of years trying to prepare for this. And there were everyone from startups, people that were just starting their business, people that were wage earners to millionaires and billionaires. And the commonality between all of them is they all around money had some level of guilt, shame, and embarrassment for different reasons, but it all existed. It was guilt because I had money. It was guilt because I lost money. It was guilt because I didn't have money. It was shame because I had money. It was, it was for different reasons. But oh my goodness. That, that just makes so, I see that so much. Yeah. And, you know, I think I was telling you when we talked before, when I first got a, a night, my first really nice car and my husband was like, Oh, well don't post, don't be posting that on Instagram. And first of all, I'm not the kind of person that's like, Hey, look at my car, taking a picture with my car. I got the car because it helps me drive. Cause I don't have to push the pedal with my right foot, but I know the guilt and the shame don't look too shiny or don't, you know, don't put on that Gucci belt. You don't want to make too much of a statement. You know what I mean? So that's interesting that that is a common thing that you saw. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we'll all wrestle with it forever. We'll all wrestle with imposter syndrome. We'll all wrestle with, with am I worthy of it? Um, I wrestle with it constantly where, where I got to check myself. And, uh, and so, and typically when that happens, it's because we're living internal versus looking outside and serving and coming from a place of what, what can we do to, to help? Um, I think the, you know, so that's, that's the first thing is to realize they may have more commas, they may have more zeros, um, but they feel the same mm. and they think the same as us. Now, where do they differ? Um, I think where they differ is, is that they don't see failure as a failure. They see failure as a stepping stone. They feel, see failure as part of the process. And they're always willing to, not always, but those that really grow are willing to accept their role in whatever failures happen. When I lost, I lost one third of my net worth in a Ponzi scheme in 2005. 
I mean, oh, I do the seven figures. I listened to that one yeah. episode that you did. I mean, crazy. Do you know we almost invested in a friend of ours? It was a yeah. Ponzi scheme. He's in jail. It's a little tangent, but if there's one advice that I would tell you is what that Ponzi scheme did for me is it gave me rules for investing. And so if I've got a friend that comes to me and say, I've got an investment for you, I do not even want to discuss it. You'll destroy friendships. You'll destroy relationships. I don't care. It might have been the best investment in the world and I may lose out, but I got in the Ponzi scheme because a friend came to me and said, this has been working for, for great. And I got pulled in. I pulled another friend in. Between the three of us, oh, we lost no. four and a half million dollars. Oh, okay. my goodness. And, and then I'm sure that you, for bringing another friend in, felt terrible because yeah. y'all all lost the money. Yeah. And so, oh. but I think that it's important for us to, first, if it's too good to be true on the investment side, it's too good to be true. <laughs> yeah. You don't take on huge returns without huge risk. Trust your gut. I know that's not technical, but you know what? I didn't listen to the voice in my head. I didn't listen to my gut. I knew because I was a financial guy, I knew that something didn't make sense. But you were yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go for it. But you know what? Your gut never lies. No. I, you know what? Why? What kept me going into it is, and con men and women, I'm putting them both, con people, they understand how to play the emotional strings. And when your emotions go up with your financial decisions, your intellect goes down. And we tend to make bad financial decisions when they're based in emotion. And so yeah. we need to, one of the things, one of the reasons that they created credit cards was not to give you credit. It's to eliminate or reduce the friction in your buying decision. It's so easy these days to just take your phone and scan it and go, here we go, tap the card and I'm out. Or you have your credit or cards. Or click in, the button. Amazon. Yeah. Amazon, one button done. It's like, done. what have I done? <laughs> so now you buy stuff and there's boxes showing up at the house. And, and before you know it, you're going, oh man, yeah, I might pay my cards off every month, but I'm still over buying. Yeah, because there's no friction. And if you don't believe me that you buy more because you're on credit, do me a favor for one week, one week only pay for everything in cash. Oh, yeah. It's a <laughs> difference. See what happens. Yeah, it's a huge difference. You know, I just uh, I I pulled cash out to actually it's interesting. You're saying this. I pulled cash out to do this, To I was like, I need to cut down on my credit card. It's I'm it's I'm getting used to it being up a little higher, you know, I'm saying, oh, I'm investing in my business. I need to develop that new website. I say I need it. A lot of things that I don't need. So I pulled cash out and I was at the grocery store and I'm like, you know, this grocery store is really expensive. I love Air One, but I could get the same stuff at Trader Joe's for half the price. And it made me realize I am really overspending. It was so easy, but they make you feel like, oh, you're a member. So you get a 10% yeah. discount. Still they, doesn't bring the cost down to what oh, it should but, be. But they know the emotional strings to pull. But imagine this for a moment. And I'll never be the person to tell any of my clients or anyone that, that are listening to, to not buy something. I'll tell you to buy something. You go do what you want to do. I just want to make sure that you're aware, conscious, and intentional. And here's what I mean by that. Let's assume by doing what you did, Emily, that, that you now save $100 a 
a week that you're not spending. And we take that $100 a week and we put it away into an investment account. Say it earns 8%. The average stock market returns over history is about 8%. It earns 8%. So it's $100 a week, $400 a month. And you do that for the next 30 years. 30 years. Do you know that that just that act will turn into six to $700,000 for you? Wow. I think so. If you're listening, go run and do that right now. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is that people will say to me, well, I, I'm not making enough. I can't do it. I'll wait till I make more. I go, great. That's like the person saying, no, I'm going to wait till I'm 100 pounds overweight instead of 70 pounds overweight to start working out. Here's the thing. Most people don't have money issues. Their money issues are a symptom of a behavior issue. And so that's why I tell people if they want to get on the path to wealth, if they want to get on the path to, to, to financial freedom, start somewhere. If even if it's five dollars, when you go to the gym to start working out, you start with the little chrome weights mm -hmm. and, and you start working up. The whole idea is to change your behaviors and through the behavior change, you'll change your money. And it could simply be five dollars a week. It could be $10 a week. It could be $20, whatever you can afford. The behavior is more important than the amount. Wow. You know what? That's really powerful. That puts people in the driver's seat of their life. But also, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I have to be really wealthy to start investing, you know, and you're saying, no, start somewhere. And I love the analogy that you use with it's just like going to the gym. You start with a little weights and you work your way up, but you start somewhere and that gives you peace of mind. Um, well, I, I just, do you have time for like two more questions? I do, I do. Okay. Oh, thank you so much. Because I mean, I have a million questions, but I'll, I know we've got to cut our time short. Um, you talk about having a money machine, like creating a money machine. Um, there's a lot, you know, for so long, I was trading time for money. And I remember when I was a fitness trainer and I worked for 12, sometimes 14 hours a day. And that was back to back hour long sessions, one person at a time. And all I had, I was trading my service, my time for money. I didn't really have like this money machine. It was like, if I was sick or I was out of work, I didn't make money. And so what is something you can suggest to anyone out there that wants to just, you know, start making money while they're sleeping? Well, so they don't have to trade time for money that they, even if something happens, you know, if they get COVID, God forbid, or, or something happens that they can still be, have some financial liberty, that they can still have like a money machine. Is there a way to do that? Yeah, it takes, it takes time, it takes discipline, and it takes uh, a process. So, so the answer is yes. We, we came up in the industrial age, through the industrial age, and we kept the industrial age thinking, save, 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 save. You work one job, you work one thing, and they'll take care of you in retirement. Well, that, that went away in 1981 when they did away with pensions. For the most part, most companies don't have lifetime income. You need to create lifetime income for yourself. Mm -hmm. And you can do it in a 401k. You can do it in an IRA. It's probably not 
achievable in an IRA loan because you're limited to $6,000 or $7,000, depending on age, a year type of the thing. But point being is this, whether you're working in a job or you're working in a business, too often people come into business and they become entrepreneurs because they think it's going to give them freedom and they just find themselves trapped. They're like George Jetson on that treadmill. Yeah. Oh my God, Jane, get me off this crazy thing. And they can't get off of it. And they don't realize, but the business isn't there to give you freedom. The business and your job is there to give you cash flow. And then we take that cash flow and use it to build a separate machine out of investments, out of things that can sell without you being there, out of real estate, that you can flip the switch. It becomes your ATM, if you will. This is what allowed me to, to move through the cancer is that We had a money machine over on the side that was just building and continuing to build. And when I realized I'm going to pull myself out of it, I said, I'm going to reduce my income in my business by probably 80%. And I tell, I told my wealth guy, I said, flip the machine on. Now the difference was, and I'm going to, and this is no judgment on, on what you went through, but let's look at what the difference was now you weren't in the position to do that, but I want to urge people to, to, to go further. You had savings and you had the money there to take care of you, which is what typically they do with an emergency fund. But what if you had enough there that you didn't drain it, that you could cut a, a, a piece of it off that would support you, but that money stayed there. And so when you come through your journey of, of healing, on the other side of that, the machine is still intact. Yeah. And, and see, I didn't have a big enough machine. Yeah. <laughs> I only, the only machine that I had was I had other trainers that worked for me. And so that was a little bit of a machine, but not enough. And especially with the kind of treatments I was having. I mean, we had $2.9 million worth of medical expenses and we had a lien on our house. I mean, it was, it was insane. And it was a good wake up call for me. It really shook me up and it changed the way that, that we do money and we're, we've created a money machine for us, thankfully. So this time around when COVID happened, it was like, I knew I was going to be okay. I had that peace of mind because I had the money machine over here. I want to get a bigger money machine over here and here and here. (laughs) That's the thing. I had someone, a, a friend of mine that I was working with, he sent me a text the other day saying, oh my God, I just put $85,000 into an account and this and that. He says, I'm loving this investing lifestyle. All of a sudden it becomes a game for you. Um, and that's exactly what I want. What you're doing is exactly what, what, what needs to be done. I went through the same thing. I herniated three discs in my back. I couldn't work for six months. And it was back in the nineties that lit the light and go, wait a second. I got to have some other way to make money. So, I mean, I had the same catalyst, you know, it wasn't as, as, you know, horrendous as, 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 as yours for sure. But to allow you to say, wait a second, we got to do something different. And you've been blessed enough to open yourself up to the awareness of that and saying, how am I going to do this differently? So if something happens and you know what it's look, building the machine, you'll need it someday. Because you're going to retire, you're going to stop, you're going to have grandchildren, you're going to have great grandchildren, you're going to want to do, you're going to need it someday. But think of it as a seatbelt in the sense of, I wear the seatbelt. And if I get home safely, 
Should I look back on and say, I should have never worn the seatbelt? I didn't need it. Because when you need it, it's too, and you don't have it, it's too late. So mm -hmm. I would look at it and say, it's important to look at your job and your business and say, how do I start building something that isn't dependent upon my inputs to drive the outputs? Because when we do that, and that's, that's what takes time. We've been taught over the years to earn money. And that money, we then go and consume with it. Mm -hmm. We buy with it, we consume with it. But what if that money was truly our seeds? And we plant those seeds in the ground. And we take those seeds and allow them to grow. And now each year, all we do is we cut the crop for that year, live off the crop, and allow the crop to regrow every year. That's mm -hmm. the way we need to look at our earnings is that we take a portion of it every year and we use it to build our future. And, and over time, we'll build a large enough machine that we never have to cannibalize it or drain it and that we can live off of the cash from the machine. That's and that you don't, well, and that you don't have to kill yourself no. working 12, 14, 16, sometimes hour days, just on that treadmill, killing yourself that you can live a life with peace of mind and, and fulfillment and not, like you said, just on that treadmill constantly, just yeah. working, working, working. How, so, how old is your daughter? My oldest one is 25 and my youngest one is 13. You know what, Mel? My youngest daughter is such an entrepreneur already. Great. So she, she wants to buy a new horse to compete with. And I'm like, well, not yet. You were going to have to sell your other horse. If you want that top horse that they're, they're a lot of money. So she starts looking in her room. She finds a website. She starts selling stuff. I just got a text from her right before we started recording mom, I've already sold three things this morning. And she's just like creating that in 13. And she's yeah. like, okay, what can I sell? How can I make money? Then she comes in my closet last night. Mom, do you have any shoes that you want to sell? I'm like, I don't have any shoes I want to sell. She's like, mom, you don't wear these shoes. You need to sell that. You want me to sell these shoes for you? Like she's hilarious. This is amazing. I love this because why I was, why this was, why I asked the question was because this is so important. We can actually change the financial destiny of all our youth. If they just understood the, the principles of compounding and money. My son is 31. His wife's 28. They, and I started him at 11 years old, understanding and working with him, giving him a commission. And he, would, he was learning some of the stuff. I didn't know he was learning it. I didn't know if it was going in. But he's 31, 28. They just had their first grandchild. They have three homes and a multi-million dollar net worth already. Wow. You take, you take either your 25-year-old or 13-year-old, either one of them, and get them to understand that when they start to put away money. So every dollar you put away today in 20 years is worth almost $90. Almost $90. So just take the, your 25-year-old. If, if they put a dollar away today and at 45 years old, it's worth $90. And if they simply understood that, by the time, and they just consistently put 
$500 a year away, $1,000 a year away. By the time they hit 35 or 40, they're done. And now the machine grows on its own without all the effort that, that we have to put in because we started later because no one told us. This. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't taught that growing up and it's something no, it that I've not. had to learn along the way. And it's something that we have taught our kids. In fact, when, you know, Ruby, who's 13, we have it set up when she turns 18, we have put money aside. So we will be able to get cash enough to pay for college, but She's smart. She's like, no, mom, I'm going to get a scholarship to college. I've worked hard horseback riding and I'm going to get a scholarship for equestrian and I'm going to go to school. Like she's already thinking ahead. How can I make this work? So I love to see her think like that. It, I, I just, love yeah. Well, I know that you help so many, you have so many besides your book, your podcast and y'all I'm serious. His podcast I love that you break things down in, in like analogies. You can it's easy to understand lessons about what you should do with your money. If y'all look and, and just listen to his podcast, you can find it on Apple or any other podcast. It's called the Affluent Entrepreneurial Show. And you have some free resources you've got on your, if y'all look him up on Instagram, Mel Abraham nine is your handle, right? Yeah. Yep. Is that your handle? So y'all, yeah always great tips. He goes live or he does IGTVs on Instagram. The reason I'm sharing all this with you is because I really want you to take an opportunity to learn from him because you give so much and it's from a place of genuine, like you really want people to, to be successful. Um, but you also have a free money challenge is free money plan challenge is that what yeah it's yeah it's it's a, a money plan workshop it's a seven-day training that people go through that uh, help get the mind straight their debt straight their money straight and kind of here's the thing if we're going to create an unshakable foundation for our financial destiny we need to have a good plan in place and so i just wanted people to kind of go through and say take this stuff go do it make it happen is this something like my 13 year old could do yeah, it is. I mean, some of it may not apply to her because she probably doesn't have debt. But okay. But but yeah, that's no, fun. she that's doesn't have fun. debt. Yeah, one <laughs> one of the trainings, but she'll understand the what debt can do, and now, and she's already possibly seeing that because you know if she's thinking about I'm going to get a scholarship. I mean, we got. $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. These kids are coming out of college. They signed on the dotted line at 18 years old without understanding the dynamics of what they were getting mm -hmm. into. And when they're coming out of college, the day they're supposed to say, go soar, go have your dreams. Oh, wait a second. Let me strap this albatross around your neck. Mm -hmm. Now try and soar. Yeah. Mistake. It is less their fault and more the financial aid office's fault for, for, for putting this kind of drug in front of people. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm opinionated about it for sure but I just don't want to see our youth struggle because they didn't understand or they weren't fully informed of what they were getting into. And there's other ways to pay for college. Yeah. Now this is kind of off talk, but do you believe in going to college? Yeah. So I do. So my son uh, who started his business at age 16, he's had his business since then, but he was in his final year and a half of college and I was out speaking and I got a text from him saying, yeah, dad, I don't think this college thing is really helping me any. So I'm thinking of 
quitting. And, you know, I'm like, so I sent him a text. I said, we'll deal with it when I get home. And I, I basically said to him, I said, here's the deal. It's an adult decision and you get to make it. And I'll support it 100%. But you don't get to adult halfway. You get to adult all the way. So if you choose to get out of college and stay in your business and do that, that's fine. That means you pay for your car fully because I was paying half of it. Rent and all that. Just do the math. I mean, you just got to live your life like an adult. Yeah. He came back to me and says, you know, a year and a half isn't so bad. Now, here's why <laughs> I think it's important. Especially, and this may sound judgmental to the kids today or the youth today. And I can say kids today because I'm 60 now. Um, they, uh, is that um, I think it's important for them to start something big and finish something big. Mm-hmm. I agree. And even if the if, if there's stuff that I learned in college that I never used, mm-hmm. but starting something big and finishing something big and not giving up and going through the trials, going through the adversity, getting through it and, and figuring out the discipline of studying and all that, I think is an important life skill. And so, yeah, I believe in it. If, if not for the education, for that. And so exactly. I, I am a believer in it. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, it's just like with... Um, my daughter's school, it's, she's like, it was so hard. She would cry every day and I'd drop her off and she'd say, do you hate me? Is that why you're making me go to this school? There's, I, I hate this school. Do you hate me, mom? Is that what you're doing? And I'm like, look, we signed you up. This is a really great school. We signed you up. You have to at least, if, if it's this bad, maybe we'll look into other schools, but you have to finish the year. And you know what? She ended up loving the school. Now she loves it. But now she's like ready to go to Texas. I think she's ready to have a horse in her backyard. And nice. I'll keep you posted on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited that we're speaking um, at an event. By the time this podcast comes out, it will probably, the event will probably already have happened or maybe just happened. But I am so honored I get to be on a panel with you because Yay. I really admire not just the person you are and all you've overcome, but how much you share with others so that they can really learn about how to do the best. You know, everybody needs help learning with what to do with their finances and creating their money machine. And just to have somebody like you that we can trust, it means so much. So I'm so excited to see you in North Carolina in person. And um, y'all, please check him out. If you're out for a run or something, listening to this, or you're watching on YouTube right now, the everything, his show notes, we're the free money plan challenge. Go to, go to moneyplanworkshop.com. Money plan. The, the, the money plan, the Okay. And all his Instagram, his website, his podcast, his book, all that's in the show notes. So make sure you check that out and check Mel out. Thank you so much oh for- gosh. For all that you've shared, oh my goodness. I love talking with you and I appreciate you going over a little bit too. So uh, anytime, I, anytime, it's, this was a gift to me. This is the joy and this is uh, me doing what I'm meant to do. Thank you. And where would you like people to reach out to you? I know that you answer a lot of questions on your podcast. If somebody has a question or they want to reach out, what's the best way to they, reach out to you? They can DM me on Instagram if they want. Instagram or Facebook, but Instagram, probably the best place to, to DM me. 
And if they have questions, post them. I'll bring the questions on the show. We'll answer them and keep them moving forward. There's no reason to flounder financially. Yeah, thank you. And I love that you answer questions on your podcast because they're all questions that a lot of us want to ask. And we get to learn through other people's questions and how you answer. So thank you so much for being here. And I'm excited to see you in North Carolina. We're going to see each other soon. Thank you, yeah, Amberly. If thank anything you. comes up, you let me know. I will. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for joining us this week on True Grit and Grace podcast. If you like it, please rate it or share it with your friends. That would help too. If you're not yet on the newsletter list, come over to AmberlyLago.com and jump on it. While you're there, you can grab a free downloadable gratitude journal and you might just want to check out my book or even check out my monthly motivational membership. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week.